Canuck Central on a Friday, coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500. Five-star, 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 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. It's been an interesting day around uh, the National Hockey League. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vander Kane and his uh, settlement with the Sharks has come down. Yeah. Sharks not getting much of a cap penalty. It's actually just being uh, retroactively tacked on to their salary cap from last season. <laughs> not that it matters. They're not trying to really <laughs> compete anyway, so who cares? Yes. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's always – people here always react a certain way when, when those things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so he didn't lose any money. Nope. After getting let go by the Sharks, essentially. He uh, basically uh, – it's whatever money that uh, – they're not paying him. They have to make good. Yeah, yeah, like the difference. Make up the difference with... It's like a $3 million difference. What he was going to get paid yeah. by San Jose and what he's ended up signing for in, in Edmonton. So, yeah. uh, it's just funny. That, like, I mean, all these leagues do this. When situations happen, they come up with rules that seem to make sense. Yeah. <laughs> and this is what they've decided today. I mean, what's... We don't know the answers to this because we don't know his finances, but... Is Evander King going to be able to finish his National Hockey League career and actually have money in the bank and not be in debt still? Or That is a great question. It's Because, I mean, when you look at the total, how much money he owes and mm-hmm. what he's getting paid, you're like, these numbers don't <laughs> add up very well. I don't know what's going to happen here. Uh, the, math doesn't, <laughs> the math doesn't shake out no. so well. Uh, so that's uh, what's happened uh, in that case with the NHL. Evander Kane and the Sharks coming to a... Settlement. All right. Uh, back in on your Vancouver Canucks. And uh, we welcome in Dan Murphy to the conversation in Penticton and has the latest on uh, the Canucks pup. Are, are you surprised the Canucks are finally bringing in a dog, Murph? You know, I'm not super surprised. <laughs> I think they're a little late to the party. I mean, they've done a good job of um, kind of highlighting the, the players' dogs, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, so that's great. But, I mean, it's a no-brainer, mm-hmm. right? It's never a bad story, you know. Like I don't even remember who was first. Was it the Blues? I remember they had Barkley. Yeah, yeah it was the Blues. Um, I think they were the first. Were they? Yeah. So and then teams just started going after that, and um, I like it. I, I don't know. I'm guessing it's going to be a lab. They say it's coming from the BC Guide Dogs yeah. Foundation and something like that. So probably a lab. Uh, I don't think uh, golden retrievers are. Uh, <laughs> Allowed back in the program, they don't. Their, their pass rate isn't great, as you can tell by the two in my house. So, um, but I'm guessing it's going to be a lab. But yeah, of course. Do we think we can, like? Dog. Can we get the Murph pups into the race this year? Like, is Comet ready to go or what? <laughs> Cosmo. Cosmo, Cosmo sorry. Uh, he, there's no chance he would win. Um, <laughs> Peach has a good chance to win. If you put like a, you know, if you somehow could get like a body of water. Or something at the other end, like <laughs> she would win the race without question. Mm-hmm. Launch yourself. So, but no, Cosmo would just kind of turn around and trot other places. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what Cosmo would do is find the nearest person and then put his head on their lap and ask for some rubs. That's what he exactly. Does. And that's what he would. <laughs> Which is kind of cool too, though. That's you know, it's it's, it's great. I mean, Cosmo's fantastic. I mean, it's so funny. I mean, both of your dogs are so cute and nice, but they have different personalities. You know, yeah. like um, Peach is a little harder to leave alone than Cosmo. You know? Yeah, a little more anxious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and she does bark, but Cosmo doesn't. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. Uh, but as far as name for the pup, 
Oh. Does it have to be like a play? I mean, everybody kind of, you know, the, the team is taking submissions, right? And, yeah. You know, so I mean, does it, it have to be a play, be a play on? Play. Yeah. It could be a play, like, but I don't want it to be a super corny right. play on something, mm-hmm. right? Powell like, Bur- I, I, Burray? Yeah, whatever. So, or, Orlan Curtin Bark. Yeah, you know, like, Bark. This is the kind of stuff that can't happen. No. Right? That can't happen. Um, but, like, Barkley, like, that was a good one with the paying homage to the history of the Blues. Yeah. Um, and I can't even remember what the. Uh, the Capitals dog. It kind of had something like that as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it can, I, I hope it pays some sort of homage to the franchise, but it better not be corny. No, I mean, it'll probably be corny though. I, I, my guess is it's somewhat corny, but it'd be cool if it's just like a name or something. Yeah. Like George. <laughs> Any human name for dogs works, I think. Like a straight human name, Paul or something like that. So, uh, what's happening in Penticton? Um, you know, just uh, I've been kind of trying to take uh, one team per day. So yesterday, uh, uh, I saw the Canucks, uh, and I and I actually got uh, with the the Flames as well today. Oilers. So uh, I'm learning that of the you know the prospects here, the Canucks team is probably uh, the thinnest in terms of high end prospects. That's for sure. Um, you know, there are a couple of players to keep an eye on, um, but you know, you have guys on Winnipeg and Edmonton. Uh, that will almost certainly be on the roster, or maybe multiple players uh, from mm-hmm. each team that are going to make the opening day roster. Uh, so, I mean, if they've got any short players that have played games uh, where the Canucks, you know, obviously don't. So, um, you know, I, it's I like this event. Uh, I like being in Penticton. Uh, it's a fun one to cover. There's a lot of people here you can talk to. So, I'm glad it's back. And really, I haven't been at this for a while. Um, I can't remember the last one I did. I wasn't at McDavid's. Um, like, I want to say maybe the last one I was at was like Yakupov's. Like, mm. I'm just kind of going back yeah, to the yeah. time when the had all those high-end picks. But then Principe was always in town for those. So I, I haven't been here for a while, but I, I like it. I mean, the weather up here is great. There's a little smoke in there, but not too much. It's super sunny. It's super warm. Um, and I think it's just a – it kind of, to me, it, it seems like it's the start of hockey season when this thing comes on, yeah. if you're covering it. If not, it's main camp. But when you're up here, it's kind of like, okay, well, we're back. Yeah, I mean, I know what you mean. It's just like it's it's nice knowing season is here again and getting back into the day day to day routine of it. And the thing for me, honestly, Murph, is not really any individual prospects here for the Canucks. It's more about what we're seeing happen behind the scenes and how robust that developmental staff is. And we had Chris Higgins on the show yesterday, and I mean, yeah. he sounded giddy and excited to get going with this developmental team with the Sedins, with Commissarek and Michael Samuelson, and just the overall plan they have in place. I mean, and he was he sounded competitive. He's like, we want this to be the strongest part of our organization super jacked up about it. and and today you kind of saw ty young taking shots from the sedines those guys are on the ice helping those those kids out and showing them the ropes and those sort of things i think the most notable thing to take away at least for me on the outside looking at it is just how seriously these guys are taking it and what the start of this could be on the developmental side of the, for this team well you can understand why higgins is so fired up because for a while it was just him yeah yeah <laughs> he yeah. didn't have any help right yeah <laughs> You know, so he was, you know, he was getting worn down. Uh, but, yeah, like, you know, yesterday, and, you know, you kind of forget. Like, I was like, who's the guy? I'm like, great Oh, yeah, Mike Komoserik is here. And I saw Michael Samuelson in the stands with Ryan Johnson. And you just kind of start to to remember all the, the hires they've made. But uh, there's no question, as you said, said it's, it is a robust department now. And, you know, uh, that's one of the things that uh, Rutherford has really stressed, um, really having a pipeline. And right now, I don't think they have the players for the pipeline, but they're building, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the actual 
uh, physical tools to get them there. And that includes quality people like the Twins, Commissaric, uh, Higgins, and, of course, Samuelson as well. So, um, you know, you have to like it. Uh, it's kind of like the same goes with their uh, management structure. The more voices, uh, I still think, is good as long as they all work in harmony. So one of the, the interesting things about uh, preparing for this season, it's we, we all kind of thought that there was going to be significant change on the roster. Mm-hmm. And pretty much, I, I think most people thought there would be a step back taken because, you know, a big salary was going to have to go out. We all, or most people expected it to be Miller or maybe Besser or something to that effect as the, the team tried to gain flexibility. None of that happened. They added a few pieces, <laughs> but it's like because a lot of people felt that a step back was going to be taken. We can't, they can't evaluate the roster because they think it's against their opinion of what should have happened with the team. But in reality, they've, they've made a few gains on this roster and should be better than they were a year ago. Does that mean playoffs or not? I guess time will tell Murph, but mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting how the rhetoric around the team is coming into the year. Yeah. And, but you know what? I think that there's probably uh, multiple plans uh, because you can't, you can say we want to do this, but if if it's not there to make the team better or you're not making a move to get the pieces you want in futures, you don't just do it because that's what – we have to trade Miller, so that's what we're going to do, and you get pennies on the dollar, and you, you didn't do the right thing. Um, I'm guessing the market wasn't there for JT that perhaps we all thought would be, uh, and then a deal came together. Mm-hmm. I still think they've – Got to work on the defense, but you're right. So maybe they finally said, okay, well, we got Mikheyev, right? We got Kuzmenko. Um, you know, maybe signing Miller, why don't we go for it? Well, I want to sign Miller and see if we can address his defense. If we still have to move a salary, be it a, a Garland or uh, a Besser, to get the defense, uh, defense improved, then maybe that can still work. Uh, but I think they just pivoted. They said, okay, this is kind of what we had planned to do, but it's not working out for us. Um, and we maybe need a slightly new vision. Is that the right way to go? I'm not sure, but um, I, I'm like most people. I thought there was going to be big moves. I mean, Rutherford comes in. He had a history of making big, splashy moves, uh, trying to make deals. We all thought it was going to happen. It hasn't, uh, and I think they've got a slightly new vision uh, for the team. Um, you know, I, I like it uh, in the short term because it's going to probably make the TV shows better. <laughs> yeah, They're more fun to watch. I don't know about the long term at this point, uh, but I absolutely do think you're kind of right to try to to try to win when Demko is still here at this number, and maybe that's year three and four of his deal. Well, I mean, you know, to me, you're right about the Demko stuff because he's 26 years old and has four years left, and even when he hits 30, not to say you can't sign him, but it's not going to be cheap. And I mean, no. considering how good he is and how hard it is to win without strong goaltending, just I know Colorado did it this year, but that was because they were just so loaded. But look at Tampa with Vasilevsky and, and how they won back-to-back cups with him and how great he's been. I mean, you really need to have a strong high-end goaltender. And, I mean, we'll see if they can improve the defense over the course of this year. But I'm with you. I think this year is going to be fun. I think that the forward group's going to be actually pretty decent. And if Elias Pettersson, like we were talking to Cam Robinson before, uh, Dan, takes that step this year and comes back to looking like a superstar again, well, that's when people get excited, right? Because that's when the team's competitive and they have at least a few guys that are not just stars, but superstar-level players. Yeah, and, and I don't know if any of us believe that JT is going to get 99 points again. Maybe yeah. not in his career. Uh, but let's say he gets back to, it was a pointy game. 
But if Pedersen can get up to be just over a point a game, which I think we're capable of, then you know that kind of evens things out. And I think you really need Pedersen uh, confident, uh, you know, motivated in that way because I think we see when he's playing well, that's when the creativity comes out. That's when the plays happen. That's when he bears his guys. That's when he shoots the puck. So it was just it was so dismal at the start of the last season. Like he and Besser couldn't do a thing. And it, you know it's t- it was tough on the coaching staff. They couldn't score. Uh, they kind of found their footing after the move. And then you see what happens when these guys get a little confident. So I, I absolutely hope that Pedersen can get off to a good start because I think when he's rolling, it's a super fun thing to watch. Uh, what do you make of Quinn Hughes uh, potentially moving to the right side? Well, I'm, I'm all for trying stuff. Um, but, I mean, if, if, if that move, you know, it, maybe it strengthens the defense as a whole, but if it takes Quinn Hughes a step back from the way he can play, I'm not sure I'm all for it. I still think you need to find someone that in the near to long future can play on the right side with Quinn because they still don't have that player. But if you want to try it and it, it gives you a better balance for now, go for it. But that's not the solution in my book. No, I mean, we'll see what happens there long term. I think what it could help you long term is if he plays a right side, it's easier to find another lefty defenseman. You only have to find one more righty top four guy. But I mean, again, it's one thing to talk about it and another for it to have success. Now, Murph, before we let you go, um, I did want to ask you about that crazy Seahawks game on, on Monday <laughs> between uh, the Seahawks and uh, Russell Wilson's Denver Broncos. And, and the reason I want to bring it up is because we've seen more stuff come out since then. And what's been very clear, you're a Seahawks fan, is that yeah. a lot of Seahawks fans kind of just bit their lip and kind of plugged their nose when Russell was here as their quarterback and now are just letting loose. But so are the teammates that he played with. And the more you kind of <laughs> hear, the more you kind of wonder, well, how's this guy really like? And he doesn't do himself any favors. There was a video that came out today where he was using the same signals as he was using with the Seahawks when playing. So all the guys kind of knew what he was going to do when he was out there. I mean, what do you make of this entire situation with Russ? I mean, he just looks worse and worse, it seems, with every single <laughs> comment people are making. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we saw cracks in this, you know, in, you know, in the last couple of years of his tenure, you know, especially the Legion of Boom guys, you know, responding to tweets with rolling eye emojis or fire emojis, right, whenever it was something about Russ. Um, and I think, like, I was there at the training camp, his first training camp, and, you know, at first you think when he ends press conference with, with Go Hawks, you think, yeah, this is kind of good, and by the 10th time you hear it, you're like, this guy's kind of hokey. <laughs> so, uh, but the problem is that like, he's a great quarterback, right? So sometimes you're a fan base, this guy gives you a chance to win. You, you have a, a great quarterback that always keeps you in the game. Uh, but, you know, when you're not winning and you don't have a chance to win and he moves on, that's when you bust. I thought the fans were absolutely right to boom. Why not? Yeah, he doesn't have to be beloved. You can say thank you for the Super Bowl, and we could never won it without you. But you don't have to cheer him, especially when a guy kind of forces his way out. You can't change the narrative. It's kind of what happened with Kessler when when he came back at the start. Now maybe you know this relationship will soften over time, a la Vince Carter, because if he can get cheered in Toronto again after what he did, uh, clearly anybody can go back at some point to to be welcomed again. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think Russ is a great player, but Russ is very calculated. Uh, Russ is about Russ. He likes to be in the spotlight. Uh, but, you know, I, I really, as a Seahawks fan, I wanted to win one game this year. <laughs> and they got a high pick, and that's the game they won. Yeah, lose the next 16. Don't grind out, like, seven more yeah. wins, Pete. Like, you know, got to got to get another uh, quarterback there in the in the top ten of the draft. Uh, exactly. Final thing before we let you go. One question on the offseason. Uh, yeah. Is Hornby Island actually the Hawaii of BC? 
you know what? I'd never been there. And so we went to our friend's place in Penderns, about an hour ride in the boat up in their boat. And so it's right across from Courtney and Comox, right? Uh, but it's amazing. The, the, the sand beach is not deep. It looks like you're in the Caribbean or Hawaii. Like I'd never been there and I couldn't believe it the way it looked. So I encourage anyone uh, to check out, uh, you know, Hornby Island if you're going somewhere. Uh, and you can drive there too, obviously, if you get off the ferry at, I'm guessing, what, Campbell River Ferry, maybe. Um, but yeah. I still don't know the province that well, Murph. <laughs> you're not getting an answer from me. <laughs> I've lived here for this long and I've never been. So there you go, Rich. I mean, as long as you go sometime in the next, you know, 48 years, you're ahead of me. Uh, Murph, you're the best. Thanks for this. All right, boys. Take care. There he is, Dan Murphy. The Hawaii of BC. Yeah. I'm intrigued. I haven't been. Yeah. I have to go check it out. It's too late in the season now. I haven't been to Hawaii either, so I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't know. Yeah. Even if I went, I'm like, I can't tell you if it's, it's, it's Hawaii or not. Yeah. Sunny and volcanoes. There's a start. There we go. That's what Hawaii is all about. I, I, like, I'm not much of a surfer, you know, so. Yeah. It doesn't. I've been, but it didn't really appeal to me as much as I thought it would. I want to I try surfing. But I mean, yeah. it's one of those things that probably seems like you got to work at it a lot. You know, it's like the first few times you go snowboarding, all you do is fall on your butt in your face and it sucks. But then <laughs> you, you kind of get a hang of it. you career in order to build up your surfing skills. <laughs> it kind of seems that way, doesn't it? <laughs> probably should have done it earlier in life too. Not, yeah. not in my uh, mid thirties. That might've been a good idea. Try it sooner. Yeah. I, I, I do like, I'm so influenced by movies. I do imagine like a surfing lesson for me would be like forgetting Sarah Marshall with Kuna. Oh. That's exactly what I always think. <laughs> do less. Do no, less. you're doing nothing. <laughs> you have to do more. Yeah. Uh, so uh, good check in there uh, with with Murph. Uh, it does feel like that. Sad. Not. I, I get caught in that too, in the emotion of the moves that were made and what I thought was going to happen, what I thought was the best way forward for the team versus. Okay, here's what it is now. How how does it look? How does it project for this season? Of course, there are long-term question marks, but how does it project for this upcoming season? And the closer we get to opening night, the more that is going to be the conversation than, oh, they re-signed JT Miller and they're they're going to be pooched in three years. I, I no longer have any interest in the discussion about what should have happened. Not to say that there's no merit to it and yeah. not, not that it's wrong to have different opinions about what should have happened or whatever. But we spent so much time in the past in this market and we have over the years about like what happened, what should have happened. And hey, I get it with the previous uh, tenure, what had happened over the years and all that sort of stuff, the mistrust and the mistakes. I understand. But now it's about okay, what are you doing moving forward? Like, there's a new mandate in place. How different is that mandate from the new one? It looks similar so far. But what are you doing to get around these sort of things? Like, I don't view it with the same baggage a lot of people view with the previous stuff that was going on here. It's about looking ahead. Okay, so, all right, you're making your bet. What does it look like on the ice? How do you make adjustments as time goes on? Do you make tweaks to the roster during the season? What else do you do next offseason? Now you're started. So, so how do you execute it? And the reality is you're not going to be able to build this team up, whether it was rebuilding it more or trying to retool it more in one offseason. It's going to take a couple of years with the mind of the window's not as long as you may have thought. There are certain players who the clock is ticking on. You have to sort of get better as soon as you can. But do you take a step forward this year? And how do you get better beyond this year? To me, that's the important and interesting conversation moving forward, not what they should have done, what should have happened, why did you not do this, why did you do that? 
It's um, you still have problems to solve, but you maybe you'll just have to solve them another way than you thought was originally the way you were going to. <laughs> Which is essentially okay. If we're going to trade JT Miller, we're doing it for the right right shot defenseman. Maybe that was at least part of their priority if it was going to be a JT Miller trade. Obviously, that wasn't on the table. No. And they changed their course of action. And ultimately, they wanted to keep JT Miller from day one. 100%. And, and to the point that you made before, and I've made this point so many times over the past few months, it's a clear asset management calculation. Yeah. This player is a star player who means a lot to us. We'd like to keep this player. But we understand it's not easy keeping players, and it could cost a lot, and there's some trepidation in going long-term. So... With that in mind, there was a price we would take for this player, but that price is very high. No team met the price. So what do you do? You keep the player. I think that's the ultimate calculus with JT Miller. You take the emotion out of it. You realize how important he is, and you set a price for what you would live with in return. And moving on. And that was never that yeah. never got close to it, and they ended up signing him. Now, the rest of the team, there are certain players that I think they've tried to move, and I, and I think that there are a few things happened this offseason where they may have been close to certain things, but ultimately it didn't happen. So I know they try to do a lot more to shift things around a little bit. So again, I don't think it's 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 so much a bet on the entire roster as opposed to what it's a calculation of what you can get today versus what you can get tomorrow. And they are still going to try and add to the defense. Yeah. That is not something that is like, it's not no longer a priority given that they haven't been able to do it yet. It's still very much their biggest priority and they haven't hid from that as a management group, but how do they go about doing that? And potentially what types of players they could target may change with Quinn Hughes moving to the right side. I think that's an interesting if not the most interesting storyline going into training camp and whether or not Quinn and OEL do become a thing going into this season. Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw, we are Canuck Central. Uh, it's been an NHL player media tour. Speaking of Quinn Hughes, he was uh, down there in Vegas doing the whole parade with a lot of other players from the NHL. And if you missed yesterday's show, make sure yep. you go back on the podcast because uh, – we got a a snippet of the upcoming interview on 32 Thoughts with Quinn Hughes and Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman. Dan got a little spicy piece of audio mm-hmm. from us, and we played it back and, and talked about it. And there's more to come when that entire episode gets released on the podcast, Dan. But For now, you only have this sneak preview. Yes. And you can check that out yesterday, hour two of the program. But Greg Wyshynski's been down in Vegas. His take on what's going on there. Also, an update on what the World Cup of Hockey could look like in 2024. That's next with Wish on Canuck Central. It's Canuck Central coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Stan Richo and Satyar Shaw. Weekend coming up. And Canucks Hockey is just around the corner. NFL last night. We're going to talk a little bit of NFL. Love that the NFL's back. Thursday night football's back. Quite good so far. The Chargers just can't not blow things all the time. Oh, blow okay. games. I have a t- take on that later. Yeah. yeah. I have a take on that later. <laughs> all right. Cheap take. Cheap take? All right. I got so triggered by that on Twitter last night. <laughs> Chargers go to Charger. 
Yep. Easiest take in the world. Drives me crazy. They did, though. Like I said, I have a different opinion on this. <laughs> All right. I can't wait for it. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll dive into that a little bit later on in the show. The, uh, the Jets removed. They stripped Blake Wheeler of the C today. Yeah, I saw that. What was surprising about it was, look, a team is obviously going to try and spin it as if it's all peaches and roses and everything's great, but anytime a player gets stripped of the sea, it's going to raise an eyebrow. Now, it doesn't always mean that it can't the relationship can't recover from that, but it doesn't signal that things have been great with the Jets and Wheeler, and that's been a lot of the rumors of late. Let's bring in our next guest. Uh, it is Greg Wyshynski, ESPN.com and ESPN NHL. Thanks for this wish. What's going on? It's good, man. I'm in Vegas, uh, recovering from being in Vegas, flying out tonight <laughs> from Vegas, so it's, it's all good. The Winnipeg thing's real interesting, and I, I, you know, my, I don't think it's just about Wheeler. I think it's like a Rick bonus doing the trying to beat up the biggest guy in the yard when you get to prison mm-hmm. type deal. Like, it feels very much like everything I know about that play, about that team is that there's centralized leadership, the veterans run the room, and, and this thing feels very much like a kick to the gut of that group to try to show, one, that there's, like, a new sheriff in town, and two, that they're going to try to decentralize the the leadership a little bit from that group so i i found it to be a really interesting thing and if i'm being honest it's a bit farther than i thought rick bonus would go as far as like trying to take over that winnipeg team so i was kind of impressed today when i saw that i think this is exactly based on everything we've heard or at least what the scuttlebutt's been and everything you we've kind of gleaned that room needed a big shakeup and they needed you know the alpha dog to be taken down a peg or two and they needed this to kind of happen and the biggest question for me is uh, does this signal that it's only a matter of time before Blake Wheeler's out of the door now? It's possible, but uh, the biggest question for me is why Why does it fall on the coach to do that and not the general manager? Mm. That's the part that, that, that I'm kind of puzzled by. Like, whenever you, whenever you know a situation is kind of wonky with your room, and whenever we've seen in the past, you know, for lack of a better term, the inmates run to the asylum, it's usually the, the general manager that, that breaks up that core, that makes the move, that changes the dynamic and and instead it's kind of like you bring in rick bonus to start cracking skulls it's it's, it 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 doesn't always work that way and i'm kind of intrigued why it's not kevin shovel day off it's that was the one to rectify the situation and and instead trying to rectify it by hiring a you know a drill sergeant apparently to come in and and change the dynamic the one thing i wonder with that though is blake wheeler american player people wondered is he even going to stay in winnipeg and all that sort of stuff and he's been one of the more committed guys right he stayed signed a big contract i wonder if they kind of feel they can't let that it's it's hard to let that guy go especially for a small market canadian team i wonder if that comes into play for for chevrolet day off with with how he's been so hands-off on this well, in the sense that you have a guy that's been there since Atlanta, yeah, like you kind of you want to kind of keep that guy around, especially for a, a franchise that I think is still uh, fighting against the reputation mm-hmm. of do people want to come here and do people want to stay here. I mean, literally having to worry about the Pierre Luc Dubois situation, for example, uh, coming into the season for that very reason. So, yeah, I mean, I, it wouldn't surprise me if like you don't want to necessarily cut ties with a, with a good soldier, but again, like. When we, when we see the law of diminishing returns to that team, 
and and everything that you hear on the down low is the, the sort of ugliness and that 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 room can 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 provide um you would just figure at some point the core would be shaken up and and maybe it's a hesitancy like you said not only a hesitancy to do that with Wheeler but then also a hesitancy to do that with a player of Shifley's accomplishments and talents Greg Wyshynski, our guest. So uh, it, it feels like, uh, at least from my view, the biggest story to come out of Vegas was uh, Nathan McKinnon's comments about his his contract. Uh, what was it for you uh, being down there on the ground? No, I think that that's 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 it. I mean, you know, we obviously also got some Bill Daly time to talk about the World Cup and the ads on jerseys and things like that. But I mean, McKinnon sort of talking about the, the contract maybe being something that gets settled pretty pretty soon is obviously a really big deal. And, you know, I, I talked to a bunch of people that were here in town and everybody's kind of got a different opinion of what that looks like. But one of the first things I heard when I landed was the idea that he, that his, his average annual salary could hit $13 million, um, which would be, you know, a landmark contract in, in the cap era. Um, the general sense I get is that it'll, it'll equal McDavid's AAV or, or, or go slightly above it just to make him the highest paid player on, on average. Um, but I, I think it all points to this idea that, you know, we're not getting the Sidney Crosby $8.7 million AAV from Nathan McKinnon. You know, this, this guy has been underpaid on a contract that he signed at a time when his stock was very low. I think he's definitely going to make up for lost time. And, you know, Chris McFarland and the, and the Avalanche are going to have to you know, deal with that economic reality going forward when it comes to giving out, you know, eventually contracts to guys like Alex Newhook and Bowen Byram if they're still there, um, knowing what McKinnon's, you know, average annual salary is going to end up being uh, after this contract. Well, it's funny because I keep thinking about that quote from a few years ago where he said, uh, when the time comes, I'm paraphrasing, but when the time comes, I'll I'll uh, give a little bit of a, I'll, I'll sign a contract that, that makes sure that we're still able to compete for Stanley Cups or something to to that effect. They've already won the cup, so uh, maybe maybe that's flat, <laughs> flat out the window. I mean, it, it just it, it seems like it's it's going against that, but at at the same time, like what is a discount for for Nathan McKinnon? Is it anything less than the uh 16-17% of the cap that that Connor McDavid signed for a few years ago with the Edmonton Oilers? I think if 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 McKinnon comes in under, under 12, if he comes in at like 11-5, um then it's a discount. If, yeah. if it's 12 or above, then it's not. And, and, and I know that's kind of splitting hairs in the, <laughs> for a lot of people out there that are thinking about the, the, the enormity of that, of that cap hit. But honestly, like, you know, he, he's going to make his money. Now, the wrinkle, though, is whether the avalanche kind of dig their heels in and say, look, um, it's cool that you want to make 13 mil or you want to make 12.5 or make McDavid money. Um, we think you're worth it, except – where else are you getting it that you actually want to play? And, and I do think that there is a case to be made. And, and there might be some destinations. I mean, you know, L.A.'s cap situation, I think, changes in the near future with, you know, Kopitar coming off at some point. And you never know what Florida is going to end up doing, even though they just signed Kachuk. I mean, that's a team that throws around a lot of money. There may be some desirable locations, but are they teams that are even in Colorado's stratosphere as far as being contenders go, knowing that you're going to have McCarr there, you know, and, 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 and ranting in there for a really long time? And the answer is probably no. So there is a point of, of uh, uh, you know, some, some standing that the, the Avalanche have that they could dig their heels in and say, you know, call his bluff and say, 
you're not you might be able to get this someplace else, but it ain't gonna be a place you really want to play and and see if they can negotiate a little bit on it. Uh, maybe I'm guilty of like comparing hockey players to other sports too much, but like you know, I think about the NFL and every quarterback that came up for a new contract became the highest paid highest paid quarterback in the league. Like Joe Flacco was the highest paid quarterback in the NFL at, at one time. In the NBA, so many guys get you know uh, max contracts all the time, and I know there's wildly different cap dynamics at play here, but it, it just feels like there's nobody in the league that wants to be that guy that's getting paid more than Connor McDavid. Yeah, I mean, there's a certain amount of that, right? I mean, you know, but I think there's also, a, you know, quarterback is, is such a valuable position, and, and while we do consider there to be elite-tier quarterbacks, I mean, a quarterback is as elite as, as, as the team makes him, you know, depending on whether or not they want to start the process of finding the next guy or whatever, right? So, you know, there's only, like, what, five guys, maybe six, that are even in, in McDavid's class insofar as being paid that amount of money. Um, so it's not a surprise that we see we don't see, you know, every new contract eclipsing his. Um, but again, you know, like you like you said off the hop, it's all cap economics, and you know, it was determined back in 2005 that this is what we were going to be stuck with because we didn't go to a luxury tax system where a guy like McDavid would actually be paid what I consider to be his true value in, instead of being paid under the cap. Well, and one thing that I that I kind of look at here too is the salary cap potentially going up in a couple of years. And I know Frank Cervelli said that it could go up as much as nine million in twenty twenty four. And when if you're the agent, if you're Pat Brisson, and if you are any of these star level players, fifteen percent of the cap today could look really different in two years time from now. So even though it may look like a crazy contract if it's thirteen million or whatever, and he's the highest paid player in about two and a half years time, how is that going to look? How different could that look if the salary cap finally takes that big step forward? And they're, and they're trying to increase revenues. You mentioned the jersey patches and everything and the World Cup of Hockey, which we'll talk about coming up in a bit. I mean, there could be some massive revenue streams that exponentially grow to salary cap in three to four years' time. Yeah, and that's true. And, and there's no doubt that, you know, deals that get signed at a certain point that look super, uh, you know, overwhelmingly rich. Uh, our perceptions change as the, as the cap changes. I think that probably happened with Dreisaitl's contract over time, for example. Uh, problem being, though, is that a rising tide raises all boats, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. the other salaries go up, too. So, um, you know, even if a, if, a, if a contract to McKinnon, that's a percentage of this cap, might look like a bargain. I don't want to say a bargain, but like, like look a little bit more feasible down the line when the cap goes up. Everybody else is going to get theirs, too, uh, especially guys that maybe had to take depressed deals during the pandemic economy, they're going to look to really cash in and, and sort of reset the market that way. I know you've talked a lot on Twitter about uh, the, the, the ads on jerseys. How do you really feel about it? I don't care. Honestly, <laughs> like I, I understand, I understand the outrage from a Habs fan that treats that thing like it's, you know, a sacred shroud to yeah. all of a sudden see a, an ad on there and, and you're, you're losing your mind. So I get that reaction, but like, like it's just where we are as a, as a sports society in, in 2022. I mean, every sport has some level of it. It seems like it was sort of inevitable. My, my place is, is sort of, I don't really care if there's an ad on the Jersey where you would might see a commemorative patch for something else, but like everyone else, I just don't want to see the over commercialization of it. And I'll take the NHL at their word that they're not going to do that. Batman's been pretty clear that it's one patch in one place 
or maybe on the sleeves or wherever or the shoulders rather. Um, and, but we're not going to go too far beyond that. And, and if that's the case, then that's fine. But part of the thing that makes me believe that they're, they're not, you know, they're not lying to us on this one is I've talked to teams that tell me the more ads you put on a Jersey, the less valuable that space becomes, mm. right? Like yeah. when you look at those NASCAR jumpers, you look at those European jerseys, I mean, it's, it's oversaturation to the point where all you see is just a bunch of colors, right? Mm -hmm. Right now, if you're the only patch on a Jersey, you might ante up, you know, over 10 million, which is what some teams might get if they, if one company buys the home and road jerseys, because you're, you're the only show in town. If you start putting other ads on the jerseys, it's going to dilute the impact of getting your brand on there. So it may be a case where the marketplace tells us that, we're not going to have more than, than, than a single ad on the jerseys. Yeah, and, you know, th that's a really good point, too, because it's about maximizing money, too, and making something desirable, and you can't oversaturate it if, if you want that desirability to be there. And, you know, you had a lot of information on, on the World Cup of Hockey that's being slated for a couple years now down the road and how it could be a 10-team tournament with a qualification going in, and we're not going to see any of the gimmickry anymore of Team North America and Team Europe and under-23s and all that sort of stuff. So I think what the league is trying to do here is really recreate the Olympic type of atmosphere and given what we've seen with the World Cups in the past and we saw in the Canada Cups and all that sort of stuff, I, I think it's going to be a pretty intense tournament once they put it together properly. Well, the reason it's going to be an intense tournament is because of when they're holding it. You know, mm -hmm. the, I, I think, you know, when, they, when you try to stage this thing in September, uh, you had some teams that played pretty intense hockey like, like Team North America and you know, Team Europe for, for whatever it was. It wasn't intense. It was just, like, really kind of well well played. Um, but the games weren't good. Like, the, the, the good games in that tournament were few and far between because the guys weren't in playing shape yet. It was the preseason. Playing this in February and shutting down the, 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 the season for 17 days, it's going to be great. I mean, it's going to be Olympic-level hockey, I think, um, based on, on what kind of shape the guys are in. Um, the expansion of the, of the, of the field to like maybe 10 teams, as I reported this week, it's, that's going to include a play-in tournament most likely at the beginning of the break. And that's basically to make sure that all of their star players get a little bit of spotlight. Like the idea that you would only pick eight teams and leave Germany on the outside, let's say, and now all of a sudden, you know, most Cedars on the outside and Dreisaitl's on the outside and, and Stutzel's on the outside, like that's insane. Like you, you can't not in, include... Uh, you know, a good portion of, of, of big name players because their team is not as good as Sweden or Finland. So I think this is a way to make sure that the Swiss, the Germans, uh, maybe Norway or Austria, Slovakia definitely get a chance to, to participate in the tournament and then maybe even take part in the main part of the tournament um, if they win, they win through the, the playing round. Do you think it could ever, like, um, you know, take over the Olympics from a hockey perspective? No, I don't. And, and, and I know the NHL really believes that it can, but they're out of their minds because I've talked to, I've talked to North American players for years and uh, an American trying to win the first gold since the miracle, a Canadian winning gold, like all of his heroes won gold. Uh, those players are never going to treat the World Cup more importantly than the Olympics. And then the, Europe, the European players, it's not even a conversation. There are some guys that I've talked to over the years that where, where winning a gold medal was more important to them than winning a Stanley Cup, mm. right? So, like, 
that's that's where the Olympics are in the minds of the players. You know, on top of obviously going to the Olympic Village and doing that whole experience, which is obviously something that the World Cup isn't going to ne- necessarily have. So from a monetary standpoint, I, I love the leagues doing it. I think it's going to help them. It's going to help the PA generate revenue that the Olympics never will for them. Um, but from a prestige standpoint, there is no way it's ever going to eclipse the Olympics for these players. If, of course, they're still allowed to go. If they're never allowed to go yeah. for like 30 years, then maybe the World Cup can pass it. But as long as they're still going to the Olympics, uh, it's no contest. Yeah, I mean, the history there, it's just something special, of course. Uh, the, I wanted to ask you one more thing before we let you go. And it's the Evander Kane situation with the Sharks has finally come to an end. There's a resolution now. There's a settlement. And uh, he is going to get a bit of extra money paid out so he doesn't lose anything after the Sharks uh, you know, bought him out with the contract last time. I mean, I'd love to say this is the last time we hear about controversy around Evander Kane and maybe he's learned, but... I mean, what's your make of what do you make of this entire situation, and what can we can expect with Evander Kane in the future here? Well, I, I do too. I mean, I hope that he's in a place where he's in in a better place off the ice, and and then obviously on the ice, he's in a really good place playing next to Connor McDavid. But uh, you know, there have been other times when we've thought that maybe Evander Kane would not be in the news, and, and, and then lo and behold, he's in the news uh, in in a, in a pretty significant way. In writing that news story this morning. It, going back and looking at what's happened in the last year to that guy, it was like a season of television, like the gambling investigation and domestic violence and his contract getting terminated and the COVID stuff. Like it is incredible what transpired with about him off the ice. Um, but at least in this situation, I think, I think it was the right move for both parties uh, to avoid arbitration an all or nothing scenario for both parties and, and try to put this thing to bed. And, and it sounds like, it was it it was a a decent solution for both sides where Kane gets a little bit of money uh and and then the the sharks obviously don't have much of a cap impact this year because it gets retroactively applied hey wish uh, we really appreciate the time uh enjoy the weekend resting awesome i appreciate <laughs> you and we will uh i will sleep on the plane it's a red eye folks <laughs> yeah. so uh a little bit of uh maybe adult beverage as we take off and then uh, off to dreamland for your boy awesome thanks wish Take care. Uh, there is uh, Greg Wyshynski down at uh, the NHL Player Media Tour uh, happening in Las Vegas. That's where uh, Quinn Hughes was representing the Vancouver Canucks, and uh, each team had one representative mm-hmm. head down for the week. Yeah, and, I mean, the ads on Jersey stuff, a great point about you can't have too many. Like, soccer... Yes. They essentially well, they have two. They have the main sponsor, and usually there's one on the sleeve. They're, they've slowly incorporated more. It's like two. So, yeah. I mean, I, some other teams in some of the lower leagues, but the Premier League, I think it's two. You have the main sponsor, which is on you know the, the front of the jersey, and yep. then there's another one that you can have on one of the arms or something. The other one has to be Premier League, but one has to be yep. one could be like Chelsea, for instance, has three, and then Hyundai on the one mm-hmm. arm. But there's only those two. I'm, I'm pretty sure. You don't want to do a lot more than that. Then it looks, but then to the point, you want it to be desirable, and you don't want to to be cheapened out and watered down. The yeah, the European jerseys are too much, right? Like nobody wants that. Nobody wants uh, NHL to to look like a NASCAR sort of uh, vehicle with a thousand different sponsors on the jersey. Do we ever get to a point where the sponsor? is more prominent than the team logo. Mm-hmm. That is how it is in soccer, where the team logo, the team crest, is over the heart of the player, 
whereas the sponsor is across the chest. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see that in yeah. National Hockey League. That's where I bail. That's <laughs> yeah. my bailing point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm all for There's it. There's only so much I can take. Hey, yeah. I, I'm all for a couple of patches. Like, I don't mind, like, one on the other side. And if you want to put a second one on, you know, the shoulder, like, two, maximum. But... No, I'm not. I'm not for the big logo and stuff like Quit that. Quit nickel and diming me with all these patches and ads. Oh man! I mean, Marcus and Gibson's and others and somebody else unsigned. Will fa- fan bought jerseys still have ads on them? That's a great question. I'm not sure. Don't know yeah, the answer. To don't that. know the. I don't even I know. I think if, I read that some of the fan jerseys will not have the ads. I could double check. But. Well, I think it depends. Like, if you want to get an, a real authentic game worn one, well, they're going to have yeah. patches on them. And if you want to get replicas or close to, there's so many different replicas that are official replicas that aren't quite the real thing. So, you probably have your choice. I will say. So I, uh, in my recent trip to Europe, I went to watch a Juventus game. Oh yeah. And I went to the Juventus store before the match. Um, but you have to like, it costs extra to get every patch on the Jersey, the, the league patch and mm. some of the extra, oh, yeah. extra things to, to get all of the patches cost me like an extra 45 euros. <laughs> just get the sponsor patch. You can't get the Hyundai patch. I got the champions league patch. I was just like, yeah, give me the works. I'm only here once YOLO bro. But yeah. Uh, it, it becomes a lot, and I, I don't know. Like, I, from a fan perspective, that's the one team I still truly cheer for as a fan. The one team, but not the Seahawks. Not like truly. <laughs> See, he just deeply, said he's not a true Seahawks deeply fan. Deeply love. He there's, just said he's not a true Seahawks. There's fan. one. I've been honest about this. There's one team I deeply love, and it is my old lady, Juventus. Here we go. I found it from Greg Wyshynski's article. You can buy authentic Adidas jerseys that are sold online that will not have sponsor patches on them. Oh, there we go. The NHL's jersey ad policy states that teams should apply a sponsor patch at arena stores only if the fans request it. Otherwise, they'll have the chance to buy an authentic jersey without the patch. So there you go. Uh, so my, my point is I, I want to wear the jersey that the players are wearing on the that's what you want. On the field. With all the sponsors and everything. Yep. Everything. Give me it all. You want to feel like you, you, you can step out on the field. sold your soul. I, I think that's the way it's supposed to look. I don't know. I know it's, it's not common when it comes to hockey, but watching soccer my whole life, that's how it's always been. Hey, you can't be a fugazi, right? Nope. I ain't getting no uh, flea market version of the, of the jersey. No nope. patches kit. on my jersey. Suck <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Just put a big ad on the back, remove the numbers, as somebody texted in. <laughs> That's chaos. Not having numbers on jerseys? No, can't do that. Curtis and White Rock, are you telling me Liverpool FC's nickname isn't the standard charters? Mind blown. I, that's it's true, Curtis. Uh, all right. It's mailbag time. It's a Friday. Your questions for us here on Canuck Central with Mailbag Friday. We answer as many as we can in the next... 20 to 25 minutes. That's next on Canuck Central.